0: There's a cold of silence that we don't dare speak. There's a wall between us and a river so deep. We keep pretending that there's nothing wrong. There's a cold of silence and it can't go on. I am Alan Watts, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on January the 27th, 2009. I always advise newcomers to look into CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com, because on the website you'll find lots of talks I've given in the past. You can download them, and I try and give you shortcuts to understanding the big picture of that which is running the world, and I tell you why. As best I can, and I also try and intimate as to where it's all supposed to go. I use, as far as I can, the official books published by members of various associations as proof rather than going to the conspiracy books. And I've, all, I've told people before if you go into conspiracy books, you'll find that they're all correct. And you say, well, how can they all be correct? They'll use actual quotes from certain people. Whether it's Jesuits, the Masons, or the Jews, or the something, or they all have a target, you see. Easy targets. But you'll find out there's been conflict between all parties in the past. In fact, they've all been used. They've all been used to further an agenda run by a very clever elite bunch of people who have always known where they're going and who actually fund many of the groups who seem to be in opposition to each other because through conflict they have resolution and that brings change directed change that's the key to it you direct the changes also look into Alan Watt sent in sentinel.eu where you can download transcripts of these talks and print them up and they're done in the various languages of Europe I always remind people too, or well, I try to I seldom do that I you're i bring you the show basically to you and it's brought by you because through your donations and by buying my books and so on you keep me going and believe you me there are good expenses to pay all the time I get hit with the bills too which are always going up as we all know and who knows how long we can go on in this way before we're stopped or before there's no point Eventually, there will be no point in saying much at all when we're all totally imprisoned. We almost are electronically and through surveillance. That's going even further, much, much further. Their plans will take it much, much further. I don't guess at this; way. I just read their plans. They do publish them. So it's up to you to keep me going, and by supporting me, I don't get money for the shows. I don't ask for money for from any of the shows I've been on. And the advertising you hear pays the station, it pays the staff, it pays their expenses, which are pretty steep. I've been talking this last while about the systems, the rings, the circles that overlap and run this system. I've gone through the different techniques of propaganda and mind control has been used on us all for an awful long time your parents and grandparents too sciences that were well understood hundreds of years ago and even further back in time because there's nothing so studied as the human being down through the ages the first priests that ran the planet no doubt studied the public in order to do so we certainly have Lots of evidence that from the times of Zoroaster onwards, when they convinced the public that they dedicated sacred flame to light the sacred fire before they cook anything, because all fire became sacred, for it wasn't before. It was just a basic necessity. And anyway, we're back with more after the following break. I'm Alan Watt, and we're cutting through the matrix, trying to allow people to understand the big picture, those that can understand it, because we've all been heavily conditioned into an incredible ignorance at the bottom of things. We're kept that way by design and purpose, because we're not supposed to know that the world is directed along a certain path, has been for an awful long time. And I've been quoting from some of the books that outline this, especially Tragedy and Hope and the Anglo-American Establishment, both by Professor Carl Quigley, who's one of the few people to document them separately for the public. You can find many of their books under different names because they call their association by different names. Didn't want the public to know that a single organization at the top of a tree of organizations was running the world running conflicts projecting future wars and and even bringing some of them on then working both sides of all conflicts to bring in a pre-designed new world order and that's what they called it in their books from their world meetings a new world order we're supposed to at the bottom be utterly confused. We're all supposed to be the profane, you see, in the dark. That's what it means, those in the darkness, those in ignorance. And I've gone through all the other books by members of this particular society, like Lord Bertrand Russell, who, again, like many of them, ran on two sides. He ran extreme left-wing radicalism. In fact, he was the one who set up the anti-American base in the UK systems, the anti-war system. He had, in his own biography, he was the leader of the committee of 100, they called it, the radical ones that eventually stormed down air bases in Britain and knocked down the fences. And he was in charge of the bigger groups, the ones who demonstrated in the streets. They didn't know this, a lot of them, at the time but he also wrote books for his own class and his books are very expensive some, some of them are over 500 pounds today because he didn't want ordinary people reading what the man with a forked tongue was saying to his own people everyone is had in the system and I've said before if you are a follower of anything your dedication will only be as good as your indoctrination in medicine they say that when you get inoculation and if it's taken, the word is taken, if it has taken in your system you then are immune supposedly to that disease that's the theory of it what's the same with indoctrination you can be a fanatic and the knowledge of how to create fanaticism is extensive it's been used down through the ages by professionals for revolutions and revolutions can take a hundred years or more to plan you must raise up an entire generation and go into the next generation with increasing propaganda it takes incredible funding and organization to do so we're living through revolutions we've had revolutions our whole lives with sexual revolution various revolutions they're all cultural and they were planned and financed again by the same organization that runs the system. And people follow and truly believe in what they're doing. To say you're only as good as your indoctrination of that time. The propaganda that was used in World War I to get men to run by the regiments over the top across muddy fields, and they were not allowed to lie down and hide behind anything. They were told to charge into machine gun fire. And they had machine guns placed every 12 feet apart on that other side. Non-stop machine guns. Those guys, if you'd said to them on any side, whether it was German, French, British, or whatever, that this is supposed to further and destroy your, your nation, they would have thought you crazy. They thought they were out to defend their nations. And yet, in the writings of the very organization that have been talking about for so long, they talked about conflicts being necessary to bring a united Europe together. It's kind of like Mr. Rockefeller saying, well, you can't have a new world order without... he "It's like an omelet. You can't have it without breaking eggs. And the eggshells are the people on the battlefields. The omelet today the next step of it is the economic one it will all be eggshells on the floor soon because it's planned that way in World War II everyone thought they were going off to defend their culture and their nation while their leaders including Winston Churchill was telling his own peer group at parties at night that it was the greatest thing that had ever happened this war because out of it they'd get a united Europe And I mentioned the book that came from, written by his own personal secretary, last week. Idealism is always used. The children who are growing up today, and some of them already are under-20s, in fact, have had instilled in them since kindergarten to do with saving the planet and the greening projects. And they are fanatical in their indoctrination they're true believers they're idealists and for someone to stand and tell them that is all contrived it would seem ludicrous to them and shortly these people will be wearing the uniforms if not already and coming down on the older people for despoiling the planet it's all through cartoons it's through everything and they have the mantra of global warming even though it's been proven a farce it makes no difference this agenda is going to carry forward, We've taken too much trouble preparing it, preparing a whole generation and it's time to start using it and as we do this think about it look at all the papers you're seeing today about the money that the first world countries that's the US, Canada, British Commonwealth, European countries have to give to all the third world countries to stop them from having so much problems. Why would all this happen and at the same time they're pushing carbon taxes into everything? It's been signed into law in the United States right now too. And they would have an incredible fright when they see the prices of everything escalate, especially food and electricity and so on. Why would they bring all this down when supposedly the economy, the economy has crashed? Why would they add to the misery? Well, you see, the whole purpose is to bring the economy right down because out of it is going to come out a new economic world order. And if you can understand anything to do with history, and some people don't want to. Luckily, I've only had one complaint from someone who, who could not understand what the history had to do with the present. If you understand the writings of those in the big fraternities and those who helped shape the system into which they've grown up in, thinking it was called democracy, such as Karl Marx, who went through what what economics was. If you have a new economic system, it means that everything in your life is altered. It's not just a matter of buying and selling. It's all the laws, from the top down to you, the change. We've already had part one, of a totalitarian system implemented with the previous bunch who played the right wing and now you have the one coming in with the left wing to complete it that's how the bird works with the two wings the right hand path the left hand path so one set up the machinery and institutions for the next one to take over and implement and they will implement it because they will have riots as the military itself and their think tanks have publicised and have read those reports too. There's no conspiracy involved here; it's in the open. And getting back to the big organisation that called itself many names, that took itself after ancient Babylon in fact, because Babylon and Egypt had the mother goddess. And as I said, in Egypt, Isis was a goddess with a thousand faces, thousand organisations a thousand points of light, as Mr. Bush Sr. called it. The foundations today and all their NGO groups that really are running the world, that's the new democracy, that's what they meant by democracy. The big groups which they themselves created with the foundations and the money to back them, that is the new democracy. Circles within circles, they call themselves circles, as I say, if you picture... The Olympic flag—that's a good symbol of how this operates. They're all interlinked. Playing in with this is a man who belongs to the Fabian Society, and I mentioned too that the Astors, who were part of the Royal Institute for International Affairs, this private organisation that's been behind so much of it, also funded the Fabian Society that the working man thought was his society even though it was all wealthy elites who set it up in the intelligentsia who ran it Mr Brown Mr Brown of Britain is a member the Prime Minister and so when you read this from the mail online 27th of January 2009 recession is the birth pangs of a new global order says Brown You can take it to the bank if there's any bank left It's by Kirstie Walter. Gordon Brown has insisted that the recession was just the difficult birth pangs of a new global order. Fabian Society. Remember what the Fabian Society's uh, stained glass window is? You see them, the founders hammering the world on an anvil into its proper shape. We're going to get hammered, folks. Back in a minute after this break. I'm Alan Watt, and we're cutting through the Matrix, reading an article concerning the Prime Minister of Britain, Mr. Brown, member of the Fabian Society. As I mentioned before the break, uh, that a stained-glass window, for those who want to look it up, they can do it themselves. You'll see them hammering, the founders hammering the globe on an anvil, a blacksmith's anvil, hammering it into the shape that it ought to be and you remember, too, that Professor Carl Quigley said this organization that runs the world often is mistaken as being the left wing. In fact, the far left communist, because its goals pretty well are so similar. But remember who set up this organization? It was member of the elite, members of the elite who set up the Royal for International Affairs and Council on Foreign Relations where they vow to bring in a world of service, where man is born in service to the world state, to serve fellow man. That's how it's put. It sounds not too bad to some people, actually. What's wrong with serving ourselves? Especially the young, they're very idealistic. Sounds sweet. That's how they sold it to the communists, too. Until an oligarchy came in and plonked itself in Russia and ran it from then on. And they certainly knew the meaning of service, all right, down below. And again, they tied in with agriculture, because you all had to get on your hands and knees and do times in the fields. Back to nature, serving your fellow man. Not for the ones at the top, though. They lived very, very well. In fact, they lived equivalent life of their opposition, supposedly, in Europe, in their bureaucratic classes. Brown says here in his article, recession is the birth pangs of a new global order. Gordon Brown has insisted that the recession was just the difficult birth pangs of a new global order. At least his scriptwriter did, because all these guys are just actors, essentially. As a poll showed more voters are turning against him, the Prime Minister warned that countries must see the financial crisis as the chance to forge a new financial system. Now, a standard policy... With the Council on Foreign Relations, the American branch, or the British branch, the Royal Institute for International Affairs, to always come out and say, we can take every disaster and turn it into an advantage. And that's what Gary Hart said after 9 11. That's been referenced in many places. It's up there on YouTube, on different videos, and so on. We addressed the CFR, and he said, we can bring, take this disaster and turn it into what the President's father called a new world order. So they always take it to turn it into their advantage. Why is that? Because they know what the agenda is. You always turn it into your advantage. And they always seem to just get what they want, by the way, to turn it into their, their advantage because they plan it that way. Setting the scene for April's G20 talks in London, Mr. Brown said, if what happens to a bank in one country can within minutes have devastating effects for banks on a different continent then only a truly international response of policy. And governance, that's the word again they use in the the Council of Foreign Relations, governance can be effective. It's amazing how the repetition of words becomes the norm and we speak it into their, we speak their world into existence for them if we actually accept it, don't realize what we're saying. He says, so, Current threats and challenges to the world economy should seen as the birth pangs of a new global order are tasked now as nothing less than making the transition to a new internationalism, a new internationalism. Now, look at the Council on Foreign Relations books. Look at the Rollinship International Affairs. Look at their old books. And he talked about Britain being used with the Commonwealth, and he coined it the Commonwealth of Nations as the nucleus for a, for a combined world system. Every country would adopt the same system, and it, it'd have a global government, or governance, as I like to call it. Internationalism. That's what communism was about, too. Internationalism. What did they do? They brought the two together. As I said last week, too, as you found out with the Rees Commission in the 1950s, an explanation is given to the senator, Senator Dodds by the heads of those foundations. Their job was to bring the Soviet system and merge it seamlessly with that of the West, with America especially. So making the transition to a new internationalism with the benefits of an expanding global economy, not muddling through as pessimists, but making the necessary adjustment to a better future and setting new rules for this new global order, he said, now, the last Great Depression was caused by a bank bank, Failing in Germany because of the of the, the money they had to pay, according to the Versailles Treaty, as the defeated nations, they were supposed to pay all the costs of the victor nations. And eventually a bank fell there, supposedly. And because they're already international, the banks, uh, it, was, it had a domino effect and it all fell across. Well, they never sorted that problem. They said they had, but they didn't, because they'd use it again. That's why they don't fix things, so they can use it again at the right time. And remember, too, when they, that fell, too, they were hoping to bring out a new system then through the League of Nations, now through the United Nations and the World Bank. That's why you must know your history to see the repetition, the same technique being brought on again, only going to make things worse this time to make sure it happens. It says here, Mr. Brown and Chancellor Alastair Darling are aware that the G20 Summit of Developing Countries and business leaders on April the 4th could decide further stimulus measures that could alter uh, of this, this, this year's budget. The Prime Minister is planning or pinning his hope on other countries, in particular the U.S., following Britain's lead by pumping cash into their economies. Well, we're, we're almost pumped dry, and that's the agenda. I'll be back with more after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi folks, I am Alan Watts, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix. Trying to again bring things together to show people that nothing happens on its own and such magnitude doesn't happen. You don't employ hundreds of think tanks and give them all the data from secret services and everything, who watch bankers and so on. You don't give them all of this stuff and then they're caught unawares. They're not caught unawares at all. They don't make mistakes at that level. doesn't happen. And it's this economy, especially the speculation business of stocks and bonds and all the rest of it. And the big stock market is nothing but a giant casino anyway, always run by the rich who have the shares which are not sold to the public. It's a con game. It's a big Ponzi scheme. They could have kept going for a long, long time if they wanted to. Another 40, 50 years if they wanted to. Since the whole thing is run on faith, that's what economists are supposed to do, give faith to the public. Optimism. So why, in that case, would... Presidents and Prime Ministers come out and terrify everybody and say, a depression is coming worse than the last one, a disaster. Everybody stops investing. And, of course, the natural thing happens. It plummets. So you bring on the crisis by intent, obviously. Otherwise, they could be saying it's all fine. And people would believe it too. They keep investing. That's how it's always worked. Continuing this article says the Treasury rejected suggestions that Mr. Darling is already working on a third economic rescue. Ministers want to give the government time to see if it's four hundred and ten billion pounds rescue plan. Has it had any impact on the economy? Well, all the other papers are telling you that it hasn't. So we're going through the drama, the planned drama of this system. That's all it is. It's a planned drama. And as I say too why would they still be pushing forth the global warming and all all the added taxes that are coming with it? Taxes that they now admit will be used to be shared across the planet for other projects, exactly what the United Nations has been after for a long time, direct taxation. And if you read the Communist Manifesto, you'll know that one of the planks was called the redistribution of wealth. Why are all the governments redistributing the wealth of the ordinary people by taxing them and giving it away elsewhere? See, It all depends on how it's presented to you, the public. And if you don't mention communism or manifestos or anything like that, then you won't understand. You think you understand. And you actually might think it's for a good cause. But we're always fooled, aren't we? Have you ever looked into where the billions of dollars went that was raised for the tsunami victims, and every government jumped on. For every dollar given to charity, they'd add a, a taxpayer's dollar. To billions were collected, and then they put Bush Senior in charge and Mr. Clinton, and they all sort of sat back, saying, "What?" And then that's the last we heard of it, except for some documentaries that came out later doing exactly what I said would happen. The people were collecting the bits of tin cans and so on and corrugated iron from the old houses and structures and knocking up the shacks themselves. We're run by deception and cons, always have been. And when, as I say, we're going through a depression, I mean, Britain's already given up the word to start three-day working weeks. That's three days a week work. They did that years ago, but they're doing it again, bringing it back to heighten this depression. And again, you have to go into communism to understand how you get a revolution started. You must not help alleviate misery. You must intensify misery. That's at the bottom of all revolutions. And we're dealing with an organization at the top that's been behind all revolutions. Why would you add the burden of extra taxes on top of all of that? And higher food prices, everything else that comes with it. At a time as well when we're going to hit, get hit with food riots, they're already happening. Food riots that again were planned because most small farmers been knocked out of business a long time ago through government intervention since World War Two. And the big agri-food businesses, about five of them, probably one big corporation in reality, now own the food supply in the planet. And the big foundations, once more, with their various aid programs for the last 30, 40 years, have dished out modified seeds that are not meant to survive very long in those climates. People have eradicated their old seeds, or forgotten all about them, or lost them through time, and now they're helpless. You couldn't plan a war better than this. You destroy through helping the people like the free shots they gave them across Africa, and then they all came down with AIDS. This is from, it was fdcom.com, how the world is uh, warned of food crunch threats, I mentioned that the other day. That should read it again, because at the bottom, they tell you they've got to now redistribute the wealth from the first world countries, that's their answer. That's where you find that then go into the Communist Manifesto and compare them. Compare them. You have to. You want to know what's happening. And some of people ask asked me before, would the young ever rebel? Well, the young, you see, have had the most intense scientific indoctrination of any previous generation. They are products of their own indoctrination, doctrina- as every generation is and they didn't rebel when they were forced to go through school through through past machines or monitoring and x-raying them and all the rest of it and looking for weapons they didn't rebel when they were getting body searches in some schools they didn't rebel when their lockers get raided and their satchels are forced open to see what they have or they were thumb printed or given iris scans and ID cards no they didn't rebel then why should they rebel now? They'll only rebel when the food shortages come. And that's what the Department of Defense's think tanks, both American and U.S., have concluded. They're identical when you look through them, what they perceive the next 30 to 50 years. There will be riots because we're going into a new world and a new economic order. That's why. And remember, these think tanks were publishing this stuff before the economic crash was pulled off. nanny state, that always starts at all and before we read this article I want to mention Fahrenheit 451 the British movie that was made on the book as we're seeing because you see the people there doing exactly what they're told by the authorities even when vans would pass them with, with loudspeakers telling them all to come to the front doors to be watched and seen to see they're all there 2009. Don't throw away leftovers. Warn food police. They've got a new food police now in Britain. It will spread across all the British Commonwealth countries and the US very shortly. Don't throw away leftovers. Warn the food police. Householders are to be visited by officials offering advice. This is the excuse they're giving to get into your house. To start the ball rolling. That's just how it's always done. And we always swallow anything at all, no matter how totalitarian as long as there's a possibility, the slightest possibility of plausibility attached to the excuse given. And it's never the real reason. Offering advice on cooking with leftovers in a government initiative to reduce the amount of food that gets thrown away. This is the excuse they're using. A Jasper copying. Home cooks will also be told what size proportions to prepare, taught to understand best before dates and the urge to make more use of their freezers, door-to-door campaign, which starts tomorrow, will be funded by the Waste and Resources Action Program, called WRAP-RAP. Oh, they love these little things, don't they? A government agency charged with reducing household waste. See, we're all too stupid, remember? I've given you all these talks about how stupid we all are, according to the elites, and they came up with that an awful long time ago. And we're just got to be managed like children. We can't come to rational decisions for ourselves. The officials will be called food champions. So these are Orwellian doublespeak, these intruders into your home. They're going to start off on this program, and then once you'll accept it, they'll be taking your body fat and all the rest of it and telling you, and even fining you if you're overweight. That's coming. Guarantee you. Within a year or two, that will come. These food champions, they're calling them. However, they, will be dismissed, they were dismissed last night as food police by critics who called the scheme an example of excessive government nannying. In the initial seven-week trial, eight officials will call up to 24,500 homes, dishing out advice and recipes. The officials, each of whom has received, listening to this, one day's training, a day's training, will be paid up to £8.49 an hour, with a bonus for working on Saturdays. The pilot scheme, which will cost £30,000, could be extended nationwide if it's seen as success. You know what's going to happen. You know this for sure. If all 25 million households in UK were visited in the same way, 8,000 officials would be required at a cost of tens of millions of pounds. Well, why not add that on to the, to the economic depression and the carbon taxes at the same time? That would really help us get off our, off our feet, won't it? You see how they're, they're actually going to make the whole problem worse with all these schemes? This is Intentional. Peter Ainworth, the shadow environmental secretary, that's what they have in Britain, they have shadow cabinets. Sounds spooky, a shadow cabinet. Shadow environmental secretary said, you might have thought at a time of economic hardship that spending public money on stating the obvious is hardly a priority. With household budgets under pressure, most people are looking to spend wisely and waste less anyway. Matthew Elliott, chief executive of the Taxpayers Alliance, said, the prime example of excessive government nannying and a waste of public money and resources in the grip of a recession. The last thing people need is someone bossing them about in their own kitchen. As I say, that'll come eventually is when it comes to fines, you see. As we learn to control our spending. It's interesting how they're blaming the public now, general pub, the general public, for excessive spending that brought on the recession. They always blame the victim. And yet you've had 20-odd years or more of all corporations throwing credit cards at everybody. After 9-11... The president came out and the vice president saying, spend, 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 be patriotic, spend to keep the economy going. And folk did, now it's their fault. The abused always go back to the abuser for answers, isn't it? Isn't that sad? It says here, worse still, the money for the scheme will come directly out of taxpayers' pockets, no kidding, what a surprise. At a time when they need every penny to weather the financial storm. They're losing their homes all over the place. But once again, look at the Communist Manifesto. The project is part of RAP's Love Food, Food, Hate Waste campaign, which has so far cost, it's so far cost, it's just starting, remember? It's starting. Four million pounds, or eight million dollars. The organization says food waste has a significant environmental impact in terms of the carbon generated to grow, transport, and package items and the cost of having to dispose of them. If we're getting taught it's our fault, with all the carbon and stuff. It's a calculate that stopping food waste would reduce the annual emission of carbon dioxide by 18 million tons, the same effect as taking one in five cars off the road. You understand how we're run by magic and things you can't prove in a world run by experts? They're all on the payrolls of the foundations. that ask them to come up with statistics on things in certain areas. It's magic. Same priesthood. The food champions who will be employed by a private contractor, of course they do sell public private, advice. We'll advise households to plan their shopping carefully so they do not over cater. will explain the difference between best before and use and and buy, and sell these. And we'll give out tips for home composting. I know where they should put them, maybe in the compost heap. Maybe that's what they should do with these inspectors. So, we're coming down to not only complete, the complete information network system where everyone is monitored from birth to death, through all their schooling that's on computers for life and everything that you do and communicate methods you communicate by has been recorded and kept for years now that's out in the news as well that's not good enough you see we're just animals and we're the last of our kind of animals because they plan to create new animals that will serve them better but meanwhile they want to make sure that you're not costing too much keep as an animal to being a good farmer at the top you see that's what Charles Fort said he said I think we're being farmed and he was quite right we are if they want big big world wars they farm us up so we multiply and fill the uniforms and when they want not bring us down we're suddenly find we're all sterile and they're so puzzled as to the things that happened they couldn't see why all these things have have got into our food supply, the meat is sterile. And yet they still teach us to believe and run our lives according to dictates of experts. So, getting back to the whole thing about the big system, how it's just happening, isn't it? This, This world service system we're going to come into, where we serve the world system, Remember, too, Charles Galton Darwin's book, The Next Million Years, where he said we, the elite, shall not alter ourselves. We must remain wild. They won't be following any of these laws. They won't be getting the inoculations that help sterilize you too and lower your IQ and leave you with various autoimmune problems for the rest of your life. They haven't been into those inoculations. Instead, we will be steering planet Earth. we will be the captains, you see. And the navigators, they must retain the survival instincts, but the public won't need them because the state will be making all their decisions for them. That's happened for the most part. And going back to the communist system, remember the whole thing was to serve the brotherhood of man, your comrades, for the greater good, called it, the greater good. I mentioned, too, from Carl Quigley's book, Anglo-American establishment, where he said that there does exist and has existed for over 50 years. The book was printed in the, in the 1960s. A parallel government. I've gone into the parallel government. Thatcher talked about being a member of it. She explained it. And her level was made up of ex-prime ministers and top-level bureaucrats and presidents across the world. They made the real decisions and got things done. She says democracy was too slow, too many competing parties. They couldn't get anything done, so they could get it done without answering to the public. Back with more after this break. Hi, folks, I'm back again. Cutting Through the Matrix, I'm Alan Watt and I've been tying together a lot of the history that's gone into making this coming New World Order and telling you how they shaped the previous orders, they're all stages of the coming one, and how they tried their big experiments as they call them down through the centuries even, and how they even altered their names, and like the Were to transpose into a new organization, at least the same organization with a new name. But uh, Quigley was quite adamant on the fact that it was hard to pin them down at times because the Royal Institute for International Affairs also but under the name of the British Commonwealth. They termed the term the British Commonwealth, gave it to the public, and they called it the Commonwealth of Nations. And they used to have world meetings under the title the British Commonwealth. And the future. One of the books you should try and get a hold of was written in 1938. Proceedings of the second unofficial conference on British Commonwealth relations. That's how they refer to it because technically they are, not organi- they are a private organisation. And on the cover is, it says uh, issued under the joint auspices of the Royal Institute of International Affairs, Canadian Institute for International Affairs, Australian Institute for International Affairs. New Zealand Institute for International Affairs, South African Institute for International Affairs, and the Indian Institute for International Affairs, that's from India. And they also had, of course, the CFR boys there too. And then when you look at the members of the steering committee, there's Sir Alfred Zimmern, who was a member of Fabian Society, he also was a man who ran the British Communist parties and, and ran the newspapers for them, and some of the British Socialist parties. He was also the right-hand advisor. Of Winston Churchill through his whole term, even though it said that Winston Churchill hated communists, well he did because Somervell Simmern led that the whole branch was not a communist. That's how they run. They on all sides of everything. And <clears throat> on page 279, as they wrap up their their world meeting they held in Australia, and 38 says here how to express that end. Probably the end of the whole Commonwealth is to be a nucleus the nucleus of a world order, the British Commonwealth. It says, "How to express that it is perhaps only a question of words, not of fundamental faith. Some members of the Sydney Conference called it a world order. Some called it the good life. The good life, by the way, is the term the members used amongst each other and to the public. That's what Bertrand Russell, who was a member of it, called it too. One of his books was called Education and the Good Life. That's what it meant, a world society but not just any old world society. Some spoke of constructive world citizenship, the World Citizenship Association. Mr. Rockefeller has been handing out World Citizenship Awards to a whole bunch of people, including most of your famous newscasters in the U.S. and elsewhere, for years. Or the Brotherhood of Man is another term. So other words used might serve as a motto both for the Commonwealth and for the new order of which he and his companions dreamed to develop in each individual a sense of duty to his fellow men. Remember, the Cecil Rhodes Society was set up and they joined with the Milner Group, then it began the Rollership for International Affairs, and they want to bring in a world of service to society, service to the system. As I say too, Britain was to become the nucleus of it, and Britain was also to become submerged into it eventually. The torch was to be passed to America for a while. They would finance the rest of it for a century, and then they too would submerge into the very system they helped create. I'll be back with more tomorrow on this topic, and we'll go into even further detail with this. So from Hamish and myself, from Ontario, Canada, it's good night, and may your God or your gods go with you.